0: Welcome to Clear Thinking, a podcast by Better Broadhead. I'm your host, Petter Johansson. We are a coalition serving the communities of the Broadhead School District, working to reduce youth substance use, bullying, and dating violence through education, awareness, and advocacy. This is episode 24, Cultural Competency, and joining us today is Santo Carfora. Santo is a private consultant in human relations and diversity training for schools and businesses, He is a retired social studies teacher, having lived and taught in Janesville for over 30 years. Last month, he held the first of a series of workshops for Better Broadhead, and we're fortunate to have him on the podcast to share a bit about his work. Welcome, Santo. Before we get into our conversation about cultural competency, would you take a few moments to share with our listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, uh, I am a native of uh, Long Island, New York. I was born in Brooklyn and uh, spent most of my uh, my youth learning how to be, – being a New Yorker. I uh, went to high school in New York. I uh, went to junior college. And then uh, through fate or providence, i call it what you will, I ended up transferring to a college in Missouri and uh, met my my wife there, who actually came to Jamesville, Wisconsin to teach the year that uh, I ended up going to New York. So it was a, uh, a year of long, long engagement, to put that mildly. But coming to Janesville, Wisconsin, kind of changed my whole outlook on the world because I moved into a community that was extremely homogeneous. Uh, they had, at the time, in 1970, they had two African-American families. And coming from New York and being familiar with the Rainbow Coalition, so to speak, I was kind of like in culture shock. What am I going to, where are the people of color? Where is change? Where is transition? And people were actually struggling with the name Santo. Uh, they were thinking that I was uh, Puerto Rican or Mexican. And when they learned that I'm an Italian American, I can feel the acceptance. And I could also feel that if I was Puerto Rican or Mexican, that I would not be accepted. That was not a very good experience for me. I remember telling my wife at that particular point, we had only been married less than a week. And I said, I'm not sure if I want to stay in or Wisconsin. They seem to be pretty judgmental. And uh, we knew at that particular point that within five years, if we were going to go back to New York to teach, we would need a master's degree. So we actually both ended up going to the university, getting our master's degrees. I got mine in multicultural education, African-American studies, Russian studies. And uh, went back to Craig High School, where I was teaching, and uh, recommended that I teach a class on African American history. And so began my journey. I am constantly, and once once someone begins learning and doing cultural competency work, I feel it becomes part of your lifelong, lifelong uh, commitment. Yeah. Because every time we run into new people, we're having an opportunity to uh, learn new things.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm glad you stayed in Janesville.
1: Well, I'm shocked that I stayed in Janesville, <laughs> but it worked out just fine.
0: Yeah, and they,
1: and I've learned that in spite of that experience that I had in 1970, there's a lot of wonderful people in Janesville. And Janesville's had a uh, a reputation that many of the local people in Janesville were shocked to know about. Yeah, and then, And then those that were shocked to know about that reputation... Uh, about being a quote unquote unwelcoming community or a racist community, I guess we call it what it is. Sure. Uh, they've worked really hard at trying to undo that, but it's hard to undo a negative, uh, a negative stereotype.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful that you stayed and, uh, I'm grateful that you've been able to share your expertise, uh, with our communities. Uh, that kind of brings us into the, you know, the, really the, the, the bulk of our conversation today, um, you know, this podcast is the, or rather, this episode of the podcast is a result of our coalition wanting to find some ways to address this important work of cultural competency or uh, working towards racial justice. Um, obviously, this is a huge topic, and you know, while I hope that we all agree that it's important to address, um, as you say, uh, and as as we all know, uh, most of us find it to be pretty overwhelming. Uh, I fear that sometimes just that magnitude of our problems around racism keep us from really engaging it uh, in a real and meaningful way. So I guess uh, for a way for us to kind of get into this, what would you say to those of us who struggle with this, Uh, those of us who want to be part of a solution but don't necessarily know where to begin?
1: Well, I I think I would say welcome to my world. Because those of us who feel I uh, need to want to make a difference, sometimes we really don't know where to start. Uh, and even though I've been doing this work literally since about 1975, 76, I'm constantly learning new things. Uh, as I run into new people, I'm realizing there are new things to unfold and to learn about. But then I also have to acknowledge, uh, in order for me to move forward, I have to acknowledge my own biases, my own prejudices, and uh, get out of the denial uh, and saying, well, you know, that's not about me. I'm not like that. In many cases, yes, I am like that. And I do have my biases. I do have my prejudices. And often in my training, I I basically tell people, don't feel, don't beat yourself up about your biases and prejudices, acknowledge them and then move forward, acknowledge them, move forward. And, And some of those things will always be in the back of your mind. Like you always might remember the situation that you had when you were a child and someone of color and you may have had an issue. And uh, for a long time, you may have had a bias towards someone of color. But then you realize that that was just in that place in time. And, you know, many years have gone by and that person has changed and you have changed. And there's no reason to evaluate their entire group based on one bad experience mm-hmm. but in the back of your mind you could probably always resurrect that bad experience so but time helps you and i always say to people knowledge and relationships help dilute our, our biases and our prejudices um, and, but we all have when yeah. someone walks into the room for the first time we have a tendency to size them up that's our human nature and there's nothing wrong with that but we have to acknowledge that we're doing that absolutely and uh, when people are in my trainings, I give them an opportunity to actually do that. And they begin to realize, like, oh, my gosh, I actually judged that person. I actually passed a judgment on that person, and I never knew them. Mm-hmm. And then when I tell them who that person really is, it's all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh, I never realized that. Well, how would you realize that? You don't even know that person. But we made a judgment based on a picture.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. we are good. We're, we're tuned to judging and evaluating people that we never have met before. So when, you know, people walk into our presence and whether they're black, Latino, native, white, or whoever they are, we have a tendency to put them in a little box and think, oh, they're this way or that way. And then when we get to form a relationship with them, we begin to realize, oh, my gosh, they weren't at all like I thought they were. Mm-hmm. And, and my thing is, OK, then hold back on passing judgment. It's not our job to judge anyway. And uh, just get to know them. And develop a natural relationship with them. And often I say to them, this work, cultural competency work, it's not rocket science. And recently I was doing a training in Madison, and one of the participants said, Santo, I teach rocket science. And I said, I don't. It's a lot, it's way over my head. This is all about building relationships. If you want to build relationships, mm-hmm. this is all about choice. And as white people, we have choices because we don't have to put ourselves in the midst. Of people of color. But as you know, Petter, our demographics are changing.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, Janesville, the community that had two African-American families in 1970, now we have about a population of color of 18 to 19% mm-hmm. within Janesville, uh, which means communities that were relatively homogeneous and communities like yours is still relatively homogeneous. Uh, the changing demographics is actually out of necessity forcing us to change too and to find what do we how do we develop how do we develop relationships with people who don't even speak our language yeah and who are learning our languages who are trying to become uh, part of our country but at the same time uh, not give up their heritage and we don't want them to give up their heritage any more than we get we've given up our heritages right and some of us know a lot about our past and some don't know a whole lot and that's just based on our families.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, you know, as I'm listening to your response, I'm noticing that you're, you've are you touched on, you know, several different aspects um, of this work. Uh, you know, you're hinting at white privilege and the, the challenges that that brings up in this work. Um, you know, you're hinting on just some of the demographic uh, realities that we deal with, you know, hinting on some of that uh, systemic, uh, racism, systemic biases that we all carry that are just woven into the fabric of, of who we are as a society, who we are as as people and communities. Um, you know, we only have so much time today, but, uh, you know, it might, it might be helpful maybe for our, for our audience just to hear a little bit more uh, specifically about what some of those large pieces of the puzzle are um, that kind of fit together to, you know, help bring about this work. Um, you know, some of these have kind of become buzzwords, but I don't think people necessarily have the same definition of them. So maybe even just simply kind of going through what they are and give us a definition so we can understand exactly what it is we're talking about and hearing about.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that's a good point Peter. It's, it's good for us to at least be on the same page when we talk about uh, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And, and it, and it kind of is a puzzle because often we, we have our own impressions of what these terms mean. So when someone learns that I do diversity work, they've already developed in their mind what that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, it's not just about black and white. It's not just about race relations. Diversity work uh, in the 1960s and 70s, diversity was all about what we could see. Uh, Skin color, physical attributes, gender, uh, age, race. If you didn't see it, you really never gave it much thought. Now diversity is all about the things that make us who we are. And we've always acknowledged that, but for some reason we have this mindset that if it's not about black and white, it's not diversity. Well, diversity deals with our sexual orientation. It deals with our religion. It deals with our history. It goes into our our family life, our ancestry, our ethnicity, our nationality. And the way we learn our, you know our special needs, our mental health issues, all of that falls into diversity. And often people say, Whoa, I never thought of it that way. Mm. Bottom line is, we never had to think of it that way. Mm. Uh, but now, when we all look, our society is so much, so complex. And we're dealing with such, uh, oh, what word do I want to use? We're dealing with such an interwoven, interconnected society today. Uh, you know, we have autism, we have uh, depression, we have. I'm looking at, for some reason, mental health issues are hitting me right now. But that's a major piece of diversity. Yeah, And and so often it's important. And we make the mistake when we do diversity work sometimes or when we try to do social justice work, we make the mistake at times of giving people what we think they need, the old traditional golden rule. And we have learned over time, we we need to give them what they really do need. And the way we find out what they really do need is what we call the more modern day looking, the platinum role. In other words, and the way we find out what they need is obvious, and let's have a conversation with them, develop a relationship with them. So diversity is, is so all, in, it's it's all inclusive. Uh, you're never quite prepared to teach it all because you never can teach it all. And when I do my work, I really don't come in as a teacher or as a, one that has all the knowledge. I come in as a facilitator and I try to help people figure out where they fit into the scheme of themes and how they can make a difference.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great because you know, I'm sure, I'm sure every workshop is different because every group is different and, you know, engaging this kind of work is, you know, largely begins with what you bring into it.
1: Absolutely. And a lot of people come in with preconceived notions and often they leave thinking, Oh my gosh, this isn't at all what I thought it was going to be. Mm. And that workshop went so fast. And I need to learn more about it. Hmm. And every time I do a workshop, I'm learning all kinds of neat things because I'm learning about people in the room and the people in the room. Like for example, I remember uh, I used to do a lot of training for a, school, for a school district. And sometimes a teacher would be transferred from one, one building to the next building. So this year I'm doing a training in building B. And last year I did it in building A. And if a teacher transferred from building A to building B, I said, well, I remember saying to this one teacher, well, you went through this training last year. How do you feel that you just went through it again this year? He said, it's not the training that makes the difference. It's the relationship that I'm building with the people who went through the training with me. So we're sharing our stories. We're sharing our experiences. And he says, and I need to work with this staff. So he said, your training just helped facilitate the dialogue. It helped me find out. If you're dealing with cultural competency, you want to find out who's in the room. Am I culturally competent? Do I really? To me, cultural competency means having a blueprint for living, mm-hmm. knowing about the people that you work with every day. You may not know about all of the cultures of the world because we don't have a connection with all the cultures of the world. That's good head knowledge. Mm-hmm. But if you want to really be culturally competent, know the people that you deal with on a regular basis and find out who they are how you can relate to them, how you can have fun with each other, uh, work together, play together, develop connections with your families. That becomes really pretty cool.
0: Yeah. That's a great way to think about it and a great way to look at it. Thank you.
1: And another piece that I'd like to bring in here, and I want to bring in the uh, the civil rights activist and feminist Audrey Lord. And Audrey Lorde said, it's not our differences that divide us, but it's our inability to recognize, accept, and celebrate those differences. And often, and I, and I say this in my training, it's not our inability, but often it's our refusal to recognize, accept, and celebrate differences. We, we make the mistake sometimes of thinking if they're not like us, if they don't look like us, talk like us, act like us, there's something wrong with them. Mm. Well, maybe there's nothing wrong with either one of us. Maybe we just need to figure out how we get along with each other, how we communicate with each other. And that becomes kind of really exciting when it starts, when it happens. So those are all good things.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So there's, uh, Peter, going back to your original comment, the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. there's all kinds of pieces that fit into the puzzle. And for example, there's, there's this whole idea of putting people in boxes and putting groups in boxes. And when we do this work, we call that stereotyping. Okay. And then we have people who are really well-intended, but then they hurt other people's feelings. Uh, And we call those things microaggressions. Like I might say, Petter, you're really good at what you do. And if I leave it at that, that's great. Uh You're really good at what you do. But then if I say, you're really good at what you do for a white guy, you might go, whoa. Or I might say, you're really good at what you do for being a black guy. You know? That's that could be hurtful. Absolutely. And so there's a microaggression. And then we bring in more pieces to the puzzle um, and is how do we get people to want to stay when they come into our organization? Mm. And it doesn't really matter what color they are. Uh, it's just do they fit in and how do they fit in and what do we do to help them fit in? And in this work, we call that inclusive inclusion. How do we help people become part of the group? And often we're the ones that need to make some changes, so people are welcomed. And many times I'll say to businesses who ask me to do recruiting and retaining kinds of work, I say, well, are you, have you gone through cultural competency training? And they'll look at me and go, well, why should we do that? We just wanna recruit people of color. We wanna, we wanna ch- change our demographics so we look a little bit more like the people we serve. And I'll say, well, I think that's honorable to want to change your demographics, but they're not going to stay with you if they don't feel welcomed. And inclusion is all about welcoming, yeah. which is a good piece. Matter of fact, one of the next trainings we're doing for Better Broadhead deals with inclusion, and we're going to bring in the whole concept of white privilege, which is a hard piece for a lot of white people to take on. And often I say to them, don't make it about you, because if you make it about you, we're missing the point. We don't study white privilege to make white people feel guilty, have shame or blame. We study white privilege so we can share with our friends of color the privileges that we have, the quote-unquote unearned advantages that we have for being born just the way we've been born. Because uh, realistically, and honestly, uh, white people have pretty much set the rules in this country, and consequently, when Petty earlier you used you dropped the term called systemic racism. Mm-hmm. A lot of people deny that even exists. But if you go back and study the United States Constitution, you know that as early as 1787 in our Constitution, we had a three-fifths compromise, which demeaned the value of African Americans. Yeah. We also did not value Native Americans. We did not value women because they did not have the right to vote. You know, so we can go on and on and on, and we can study our. We can go now. Move ahead in our history and realize we've made changes, Mm -hmm. but we still haven't gotten it right yet. We, as we've learned this summer, we we still have a lot of issues that we need to resolve in order to move forward in a in a very positive way. So what I like to do when we we're doing the study is to give people tools to speak up. And to learn how to build relationships, and when someone makes an inappropriate comment, like at a at a family dinner, you know, Uncle uh, Uncle Tanutz comes in from you know who knows where, and he comes and drops these uh, inappropriate words about these people moving into the neighborhood and how the neighborhood is going down because this new group is moving in well number one he's stereotyping the group and then you're sitting at the table biting your tongue wishing that you were not at the table with uncle whatever and you don't know how to respond and uh, one of the trainings that we do is to give us the tools Mm -hmm. and to say well peter why would you say that why would you ask that why would you think that And when you're having those experiences with people and you don't know what to say, I always tell people in my trainings, it's not your job to answer their inappropriate comments. It's your job to let them figure out why they even asked the question or why they stated the inappropriate comment. And often people walk out of my trainings feeling really good that they don't have to have the answers. But if you make the inappropriate comment, then I guess you own it. So it's your job to come up and say, what do, you, what do you mean by the neighborhood's going to go down because they're moving in? I don't get it. Do you know those people? And often people will say, uh, no, we'll get to know them. They may be really nice people. And it's like, hmm, never thought of it that way. You know, so again, it's, you know, it's all about that connection. Yeah. And, and then we try to bring in, you know, what can you do to become an ally? How can you work with people that don't look like you, act like you? Come through, have the same cultural background as you have. How do you do that? How do you come become friends? You know, you just don't automatically walk up to a person and say, "Hey, by the way, what is your ethnic group?" By the way, what is your racial background? Where do you come from? Just because you look white, it doesn't mean you are white. So often, it's what you see is not what you get. Yeah. Find out who these people are.
0: Yeah. That's so helpful, and you know, so much of this it all goes back to relationship. I, I feel like you've used that word a dozen times so far in our conversation. It's okay, you yeah. Know, that so much is rooted, and and I really appreciate what you say about the, um, you know, sort of challenging, you know, some of those uh, those instances of uh, of racism, you know, or or whatever else we want to call that, um, because we do have an opportunity given those relationships, right? You know, I think a lot of us find ourselves in that. Uh, situation where we're with somebody that we know that, who knows us well, you know, and says these things, and we don't necessarily know how to respond. We don't know how to challenge them. We don't know how to, you know, help them. But, but I, you know, I think you're right. We have a relationship with them. They, they may not. That person who's saying these things may not have a relationship with the group that they're stereotyping, but they have a relationship with us. And because of that relationship, there is an opportunity, you know, for there to be some learning together. So I, I, just appreciate that, that piece of it. And then of course, you know, the other part being, you know, to build some relationships across some of these lines that divide us.
1: Absolutely. That, that's a key. And often we say, well, we're really beating that word into the ground. No, we're not beating into the ground because we don't have it refined yet. We have a lot, a lot of work ahead of us. If we're going to build relationships with, even with your neighbor next door, yeah. you know, doesn't even have to be with a person of color. You know, we, how about having relationships with people that don't believe the way you believe?
0: Yeah. We people need more of that excited. right now.
1: Exactly. Sure. You know, we have, you know, here you have the, uh, the most segregated day in America in America is Sunday yep. where we go to our own little churches and we have our own little issues. You know, it's like, why don't we, how come we're not more diverse? Why don't we have more diverse yeah. diversity there? So another piece, Petter, which comes up, which is kind of cool, diversity happens. So If you invite people into your congregation from different backgrounds, okay, now they're sitting, but they're not necessarily interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. Inclusion takes an effort. Inclusion is a verb. Diversity means we just come together, but once we start talking, we become inclusive. Mm -hmm. And that's a choice. And it could be even negative. You could be having disagreements, uh, but that's okay. The fact that you're having the conversation at all means that you're getting closer to becoming a little bit more integrated. Uh, with the sharing and the bringing, bringing ideas together. Yeah. And the big mistake people make when they learn about quote unquote diversity training, they think we're trying to homogenize our group thing and get everybody to think alike and act alike and walk away homogenized. No, we homogenize our milk. We don't homogenize our people. We want our people to be whatever they are and to come away from the trainings with what, Helps them become better people, so it's kind of an individual thing. You do what works for you.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, we don't we don't plan on people coming out lockstep thinking, right? By any means,
0: yeah. So that becomes
1: kind of a key too.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I'm a, I'm a pastor in a small congregation, but we we've been, you know, trying to uh, engage some of this work of inclusion. Um, and, you know, at a, at a larger, you know, synod and churchwide level, you know, this has been a challenge for us. We're, we're part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and, um, you know, inclusion is something that's important to us, but something that has um, also remained elusive. And, you know, I, a lot of what I think we struggle with is that whole idea of, you know, it's more than just being welcoming and saying, you know, we want you to be with us. It's taking that next step to say, how do we need to change to you know, help you to feel like you are valued and that you are, you know, that you have a sense of belonging within this community, um, you know, rather than, you know, come and join us and be like us. It's more of like, come and be a part of what we're doing and help us to, you know, move closer towards, you know, the future that we all long for. And that's hard because it takes, it, it may mean losing something. It may mean giving up things that, you know, we're, we're used to having.
1: Oh, Absolutely. And, you know, going back to, to the church setting for a moment, often people make the mistake of thinking uh, diversity trainers strum the guitar and sing Kumbaya, <laughs> and we all walk out holding hands, liking each other. We don't even have to like each other yeah. to work together. We don't have to like each other to be inclusive. Uh, and, and often when I work with students, I always say, you don't have to like the kid at the locker next to you, but you don't have the right to devalue his who he is yes. or who she is. Right. You don't have to like people to accept them as human beings to respect them. I don't have to like you to respect you. Right. And again, there's a mistake. uh, We generalize and think uh, just because you're doing diversity work, you have to like everybody. Well, no, you're not going to like everybody. You're not going to agree with everybody. Mm -hmm. But can we, in fact, agree to disagree? Right. And still be and still be friends. Right. And some of some of my best friends are people that I do not want to talk. To about certain issues sure. because I know we're on different ends, but we're still really good friends. Yeah. And that's, that's becomes, that becomes a big challenge. You know, how do we become friends? How do we develop a relationship with somebody that we don't agree with on a lot of issues? Well, we shouldn't have to be speaking to the choir all the time, but that becomes more of a challenge. And it's exciting too, mm-hmm. but it's not about the Kumbaya. It's not about creating, you know, lockstep homogenized groups of people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I'm gonna, I'm not gonna get this right. James Baldwin. You probably know the quote. I'm thinking of that. We can, we can disagree so long as the disagreement isn't about my right to exist.
1: There you go. Yep.
0: Something to that effect. Yeah. And uh, you know, just that idea that of course, of course, we don't, we don't have to see eye to eye on every issue, um, so long as there's there's room for everybody to exist and to be accepted yeah. fully for who they are. Um, and you know, beyond that, of course, there can be some diversity right? Some diversity in in, in thought and uh, opinion and, you know, manner of doing things. Um, But it's helping people get to that point where we can, you know, truly live together and accept one another and accept what we bring uh, to that life that we share.
1: Mm. Jimi Hendrix said it well when he said, when the power of love is more important than the love of power. Mm when the power of love is more important than the love of power then we will have peace yeah and often we the love of power is what divides us and in, in, or another way of saying the love of control
0: yeah
1: uh, power and privilege and um, which prevents us sometimes from accepting other people yeah because yeah. we want to be in control and we want to tell people how they're supposed to be thinking and that that doesn't go over very well no that doesn't that's, that' that's not a good thing. That causes major issues for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. so with all with all of that being said, the, probably the most the biggest advantage of having these kinds of trainings is to help us learn how to build bridges. So people want to stay in our communities. They want to come to our uh, our organizations, whether they be profits, nonprofits, churches. Uh, self-help groups, uh, whether they want to shop in our stores, mm-hmm. you know, it's and so and as the demographics of our country changes, and it's by 2030, 2040, uh, the estimate is that 70 percent of our population in the United States will be of color. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: by 2030,
1: 2040, that's not too many years down the road. So my 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 comment when I'm working with people is. Guess who's going to make up the school boards, the city councils, uh, the leadership roles in the state and in the federal government? They're going to be people of color. And how do you want those people of color to deal with your grandchildren and your great grandchildren? Hopefully not the way we've treated them as they've been growing up in the United States of America. You're right. We want, we want them to have compassion. We want them to show love. We want them to show acceptance and inclusion. Well, that means we need to start doing it.
0: Absolutely. We need,
1: to, we need to practice what we're preaching. We need to walk our talk. And if our talk says we're inclusive, then we need to be inclusive. If a walk says we're anti-racist, then we need to be anti-racist. And it just can't be on our terms. We need to work with people who are experiencing the marginalization. So that becomes really a, the bigger challenge. And that's to really um, do what we say we, we mean yeah we mean what we say, mean what we say yeah um, and actually make it happen
0: yeah thank you and and to that and what what are some you mentioned a workshop with better broadhead um I don't know if we have a a date locked in for that yet, but I guess we can refer people to our Facebook page uh for future announcements on that um but what are some other opportunities you know locally for people who are are interested in really digging into this um who else can they talk to where can they meet with others? Uh, either in person or uh, online. Obviously, a lot of things are online right now, which is uh, Mm -hmm. sort of a benefit, I suppose.
1: Well, let me go back to Better Broadhead because we do have a date for our next training. Oh, great. And for those of you who are connected with Better Broadhead, uh, I guess you can go through that network. The training is uh, scheduled for October 21st, and it's uh, 1 to 3 p.m., and I guess if you get in touch with the Better Broadhead Network, that will be you can get the link and get that worked on. And that particular training will be on inclusion and privilege. Excellent. And those are pretty two pretty cool topics, really. And it's amazing uh, how the businesses. Uh, just this summer, I was on a workshop with uh, the National uh, Chambers of Commerce, and there were hundreds of businesses who were represented there. And the key for businesses on inclusion is, is it part of your mission? Is diversity part of your mission statement? And if it is, are you living it? Mm -hmm. And if it's not, why isn't it there? It should be there. So in that training, we talk about how um, this one guy, Dan Wilkins, and I use this quote a lot. He says, an organization that excludes even one of its members is no organization at all. So inclusion, kind of, okay, what does it do to make everyone part of the organization? That's really cool. So the training we're going to do with Better Broadhead in October is on inclusion and privilege, the white privilege topic, which is a hot-button topic for lots of people. So worth getting into. Other organizations in the area, 20 years ago, the Diversity Action Team of Rock County was founded. Uh, it's, uh, we work out of Janesville, but we are a Rock County organization. We provide trainings uh, monthly. Uh, the fourth Thursday of every month we have program trainings, excuse me, not trainings. We provide meetings, informational meetings and the, uh, fourth Monday of every month, we have courageous conversations where we actually talk about these topics that are going on. Like this summer, we talked an awful lot about, uh, George Floyd and what was going on in the black lives matter move, uh, movement, uh, so, Diversity Action Team of Rock County slash have programming, and you can go to our website, diversityrockcounty.org, and just Google us. We have calendar. Uh, you can also connect with Community Action of Rock and Walworth Counties. They provide, um, they don't necessarily provide diversity programs, but they provide services for people who need uh, services in Rock and Walworth County. Uh, the YWCA of Rock County, they have a racial justice conference coming up on November 12th go to YWCA of Rock County and you can sign up for their training this year. Their racial, this is their sixth racial justice conference and I'm really excited that they're doing it. This year, it's going to be virtual, unfortunately. It's really great when it's in person. Mm-hmm. So again, it's another opportunity. Uh, League of Women Voters, Boyd College, they are all involved and engaged in uh, diversity work. Even at YMCA, we have a new director of uh, YMCA of northern rock county and she's in our organization and she's trying to move her organization forward uh, in the area of diversity uh, so it's been really uh, it's it's been exciting to be in this community for 50 years and to see we went from two african-american families to the demographic changes that we have right now and in rock county we have well over 20 percent of our mm-hmm. people of color live in our community today most Latinos mm-hmm. and then we have mixed popu- actually we have Latinos and mixed are two of the largest demographics and then we have African Americans and then Asians which is another rapid growing group but then they represent like 70% of our population
0: wow. and
1: then below that they I'm sure I'm sorry they will represent 70% of our population by 2030 20,
0: 2040 20,
1: yeah. Yeah. then the rest of us white people, Native Americans, Pacific Islanders, Hawaiians, we were going to represent 30% of the world of our population. Yeah. Pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. It's like, whoa, is that for real? Is that really going to happen? Uh, So, yeah, you talked about some takeaways and, or what can you do right now? And I think right now the important thing is to really be a good listener when you work with people who are different than you are. And, Try to employ the platinum rule, as we mentioned earlier in this podcast. Uh, You know, find out what people really need. And then if at all possible, try to, to help them fulfill those needs.
0: That's great. Well, Santo, thank you so much for your time and for uh, squeezing all this information in to uh, one episode of the podcast. I feel like we covered (laughs) a lot of ground here, but hopefully uh, gave people enough to kind of feel a little bit more steady as they uh, engage some of this work on their own and with uh, their neighbors. You know, you mentioned how much things have changed in Janesville in terms of the demographics. Uh, I'm also struck with how much things have changed in terms of the attitude and the resources for people to to do this work. And so uh, I think, you know, we can certainly credit uh, your leadership, uh, a lot with a lot of that. And so we thank you for all the work that you've been doing and, uh, all the leadership that you've given, uh, in, in that community and the communities around us. So, uh, thanks again for, uh, everything you brought today and I appreciate you talking with us.
1: Thank you, Petter. Don't give me too much credit. There's a lot of people behind the scenes that make a difference. In, Absolutely. In
0: County. Absolutely. Uh, thank them too. And-
1: and we've been blessed with uh, good leadership in our county, in our city, in our police department. And uh, so we have a lot of people out there with their hearts in the right places. Yeah. And uh, it's just a matter of getting together and bringing about the changes that need to happen.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to Clear Thinking, a podcast produced by Better Broadhead. We are a federal grant-funded community coalition, building a community where everyone is valued and safe. To learn more about our work, to join as a volunteer, or to contact us about this or any other episode of the podcast, visit us on the web at betterbroadhead.org or find us on Facebook. Until next time, take care of yourself, take care of one another.